Today we have a special speaker that uh, lived in Nepal. He and his wife were uh, pastor of the English speech, uh, an English-speaking church in Kathmandu. And before that, he served as a chaplain and uh, with uh, Habitat for Humanity. And before that, he served with our I, uh, International Mission Board in Malawi for a number of years. Uh, Rendell and uh, Teresa Day are here with us. They are now house parents out at the Baptist Children's Home here in Oxford. They are the parents of three children and have several grandchildren. And uh, Rendell knows some of the people that were in that video. And he's going to come today and share about his experience and what God has done in his life and what God is continuing to do through our uh, cooperative program and Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So Rendell, if you would come at this time. And uh, Teresa sitting there. Why don't you wave so everybody can see where you are there. She is right there. And uh, so welcome uh, to Meadowbrook Baptist Church. Good morning. It is an honor to be here with you today and uh, to be able to share a little bit of our lives and uh, what has transpired. And our first slide is just to say, uh, Teresa and I, we have been blessed. Our lives have been blessed to serve in some amazing places in our ministry. Uh, We dated and got to know each other at Samford. We're a product of Southern Baptist churches. Uh, Teresa's home church is Gladeview. And I'm from Phoenix City, but we married at Gladeview about 41 years ago. And our first mission assignment was to Fort Yukon, Alaska, where we still, in the state of Alaska, we have a daughter and a granddaughter and a son-in-law. So we don't get up there too often, but we love to. Then we went to a Southern Baptist Seminary at Southeastern, and I served a church there. And then we went to Oswichi Baptist Church down in Russell County. And from there, the Lord called us to international missions. And we served 15 years in Malawi, a few years in South Africa, and then we were to Habitat, and now went to Nepal, now Oxford. That's 41 years right there, I hope in just a, a few moments. But we are so grateful for what God has allowed us to experience. We are blessed, and today we want to share with you a bit about um, our last six years on the field, if you will, in, in Nepal. So I hope I do this right. Uh, also... Your support of missions. Uh, This is a mission-giving church. And I am so impressed of your $17,000 Lottie Moon Christmas offering goal. We speak in churches. We visit different churches. I think you've got the biggest around that I've seen. And I think you're going to make it. I think the Lord's going to bless you. You know, when you give to missions, the Lord blesses you where you are. It's not about buildings. You know that. And it's not about programs. It's not about having big staffs. It's not about having fancy things. It's about giving and giving beyond yourself. And I think this church does that. You know what? I believe the Lord is going to continue to bless this church in mighty ways. Now, where is Nepal? We saw, uh, you saw it on the, the video today, and I almost thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get up and speak. We were in that earthquake. And right in the middle of it, 1,000 people died about a mile from us, uh, from where we were. Uh, we were at a, at a shop shopping at a market and very 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 fortunately we're able to get outside very quickly but nepal is located uh, north of india and south of china or uh, the tibetan region you heard them speaking of uh, the tibetan buddhist to be tibetan is to be a buddhist we could see tibet from the top of our house we could see over the himalayas 
into Tibet. It was only, Nepal's very narrow, about 60 miles, 100 miles south is India, 60 to 100 miles south is Tibet. So that's, that's where it is, one of the, it's called a mountain kingdom. And uh, people have said if they stretched out Nepal to be flat, like a lot of countries, it would be the largest country in the world. I don't know how they figured that out. Okay, it was called the Great Earthquake. It happened April 25th, 2015 at 11.56 a.m. We all know that. Everybody knows it happened at that time. And the question we all ask each other, where were you when it happened? And we were at that shop and we were so blessed to be able to be safe uh, from the destruction. Now, the earthquake in Nepal kind of compares to the big earthquake in Haiti, and that's the nearest huge earthquake we've had. So when you look at the magnitude, Nepal was a 7.8, in Haiti was a 7.0. And just before we left for Nepal, I went down with Habitat to Port-au-Prince to help them set up their counseling ministry. And so I saw the destruction of both places, and it eerily similar, very eerily similar. Affected people, 8.5 million were affected in Nepal, 3.5 in Haiti. Now, both of those are huge numbers. But look at this, the total death toll. Malawi, it ended up about 10,000, but about 10,000 in Nepal, 200,000 plus in Haiti. So Nepal was blessed to not have so many people died, partly because the epicenter was in a rural area. Injuries, again, much less than there were in Haiti. But here's where the human suffering came in. Look at the number of houses fully destroyed. Over one half million in Nepal, 200,000 in Haiti. Again, these are awesome numbers that are too much for our minds to comprehend. And houses partially destroyed, 283,000 to 105. So it was a terribly destroyed country, uh, partly because construction... uh, Standards just don't exist in a country like Nepal. Now, in this presentation, I'd like to share with you a little bit about uh, the Kathmandu International Christian Congregation, where I was served as pastor. I thought it would be good for you to get personal and hear about a, a local thing, of what a local church experienced and went through. I would also like to share with you some lessons that we learned from the earthquake some examples of the destruction and some of the projects that we funded through our local church, and then uh, to share with you some scriptures that meant a lot to us. Yeah, I promise it won't take too long. The Kathmandu International Christian Congregation, that's a mouthful. So we always called, it had this name, KICC, or the International Church. It was founded by members of the British and American embassies in 1952. It really was the first church established in Nepal. But, you know, it wasn't established by Nepalis. That same year, a church was established in Kathmandu as well for the Nepalis. The reason 1952 was important is when the kingdom of Nepal, it was known as a closed mountain kingdom, it was when it was opened up to the world. They decided, well, we're not going to make it, and pressures from outside, pressures from India, and it opened up in the world, and missionaries from India came rushing in. And other missionaries that had been praying, they, had, they didn't have missionaries to Nepal along the border. They had prayer bands. Isn't that amazing? And these missionaries, Indian and international, spent most of their time praying for an open door. And in 1952, that door was open. And so KICC is one of the oldest churches in the country. Kathmandu, isn't this amazing? Look at this. This is not Nepal. This is the city of Kathmandu of about three to four million people. 
now has 400 to 500 churches. And we've been gone over a year. I'm sure maybe 600 by now. Most of them are like Southern Baptist churches in rural America, about 80 to 100 in attendance. But there's a few churches that have in the thousands. The first church that started the same year ours did has about 12,000 members. And what's amazing about it, no signs. You don't have really open evangelism so much like we think of here. And it's word of mouth. Even our church, we couldn't have a sign at our church. We couldn't have anything. Always word of mouth. And uh, KICC, our church, had about 400 average attendance. And these are the years that we were there. Now, the church was non-denominational. I always was amazed that they called a Southern Baptist to pastor an inter- and multi-denomination church. About 40 denominations were represented in the congregation. You think it's hard to get a bunch of Baptists to get along? You ought to try to get a bunch of folks from all these different denominations to get along. And this is what was cool about the congregation. 75% of our membership was under the age of 35. And I always ask, well, why did you call a 55, 60-year-old guy to be your pastor? Never got an answer from that. Probably the only one that would come. Different worship styles are welcomed at KICC, but most of the time in quite an informal group. We had about eight different worship bands from different strands, more, more traditional all the way to more kind of really exciting. And Sunday is when we met. Uh, we met in Nepal on a Sunday because most expats or internationals were off that day. But Nepali churches met on, meet on Saturday. That's their only day off in the week. The Hindu religion worships on Saturday. That's their day of worship. So the Nepali churches adopted that. And we also did not want to compete with the Nepali church. And we met in a school gym, a Christian school gym. And we used plastic chairs, uh, benches, mats for seating. And on most Sundays, we couldn't get everybody in. So we had a speaker outside. And it's a pastor's dream, you know, see people looking in, wanting to come in, and they couldn't get in. Uh, but it, uh, we thought, okay, what do we do to help the church, help us seat all these people? So the first thing, the church board got together. We had a lot of technical people in there. They measured the, church, the seats. And they said, Pastor Rendell, here's what we proposed. It was in a church board meeting. If we get smaller chairs, we can have a net growth of 90 people. I said, what? You want people to get closer together? We're already crammed. So they get, yes, that's what we want to do. So we got 90 seats and it filled more. Then the church kept getting full. And then my church planner mind came in. And I said, why don't we think about starting some more churches? So we started four other international churches over the years we were there. One in the tourist part of Kathmandu. One a refugee church, mainly for Burmese refugees. And one that was out in another tourist area just outside of Kathmandu. And all three of the four are doing very well. One, the one outside of the town had more trouble uh, doing that uh, to succeed. Here's some example of the mission groups represented. I got to put IMB. IMB was represented. Has some wonderful friends from the IMB in our church. Uh, these are sort of the sizes, I guess. So, you know the numbers of missionaries. Then you had Samaritan's Purse, Wycliffe Bible translators, all sorts of Bible translators uh, that came to the church. And there was, you know, they they know the Greek. These translators know it well. And I learned. Never say in the sermon, because, you know, sometimes we pastors do that, the Greek says. Because those guys, some of them, honestly, had the Greek New Testament with them in the service. So I just learned not to do that, not to try myself and go and make myself look not too smart. Then we had Australian, Indian, German, and British Baptists, Lutherans, Scottish Presbyterians, Anglicans, 
Chinese house tour. We had a lot of Chinese missionaries. They're amazing missionaries. You get a Chinese person saved, and they just want to go tell everybody. The Back to Jerusalem movement out of China. Read about that sometime if you never have. It's where the Chinese Christians want to take the gospel really by road or by foot all the way back to where it started, to Jerusalem. And then many individual independent missionaries uh, would come. And part of the thing our church existed for is so that missionaries could have fellowship. So that they could get together and network and, and see where they can support and pray for one another. And it was so, so cool to see friendships across mission borders, if you will. Friendship across these lines that we tend to draw here, but we didn't draw there. And when the earthquake came, we, we learned just how deep these friendships were. <clears throat> now, I want to show you baptism. When we baptized at KICC, we did it in a bathtub. Because we met at a school, we kept the bathtub on the roof of our house, and usually if there was a man to be baptized, he, I'd say on the Sunday before to him, you know, you need to go get your tomb. Because that's what baptism is, dying to your old self. And so they'd come up and we'd walk down the street with a bathtub. What about a witness for that? Anyway, I'm baptizing a refugee. This guy is from, Yen, uh, from um, Sri Lanka, sorry, uh, being baptized. Twelve people were baptized that day on Easter Sunday. Half of them for refugees from Muslim countries. And it's, when I look back, it makes me want to go back. We baptized folks over our time there from Somalia, from Algeria, from Egypt, from all these countries you don't think. Really? Baptized people from those countries of the world? Yes. Pakistan, Sri Lanka. I mean, just unbelievable places where you wouldn't think people would be coming to Christ. And we did tell them sometime, and they believed it. Most of these were all refugees that God sent them to Nepal, and it's a hard place to be a refugee, sent them there so they could hear the gospel. You know what? They agree. They agree. Now, here's the congregation. We had to go outside for baptism, and this is a photo during that, that baptism. Due to security reasons, they never allowed me to take a picture of my congregation. So I got this one because they're looking all, pretty much looking the other way. But on our last Sunday, the last Sunday we were there, uh, they agreed to have a photo taken. About 80 people would not. You're not going to see any IMB people here, no Wycliffe people, anything in this photo. But here's what our church looked like uh, in the gym, and this was our last Sunday. Teresa out of there with a red sweater, uh, the second red sweater toward the back. And that's the small gymnasium we met in. Now, this is the other side. This is looking toward the stage. I want you to see this. 2015 on Good Friday, about four weeks before the earthquake, this is our Good Friday service. Looks pretty, doesn't it? Nice stage and all of that. This is the day of the earthquake. The whole wall of the back of the church fell down and took out the first five rows of the, of the, congreg- of the benches. That's 24 hours earlier we would have been meeting, or later we would have been meeting. It would have hit me and whoever was sitting on the first five rows. We lost all of our uh, instruments and things such as that. And the Wycliffe uh, missionaries, uh, they sent people, or the Wycliffe Bible translator sent people to uh, fix that. So that was fixed about three months afterwards. We, we preached with a, with a tarp and all of that. And so many, even the Baptist Global Response people came and they worshiped with us uh, with a tarp for uh, many Sundays. 
Now, we have a very active refugee ministry. We fully incorporated them into the, uh, to the church. And here are some of the countries they came from. Myanmar, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Somalia, the Congo, Egypt, and Algeria. And just an amazing group. That was our largest mission outreach as a congregation because we felt we had the world at our doorsteps. And it was up to us to minister to these people who God gave us. It took a whole board to minister to these refugees because they had so many needs. And it was an amazing thing to see people called to work with those refugees. Now, here's some reflections I'd like to share with you after the earthquake. I'm sorry, I'm used to looking back when I uh, do a slide presentation. Life can change in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. You can attest to that. An illness, a car accident, that phone call you don't want to get, but we really learned that in that earthquake. I mean, you know, you always think an earthquake could hit Nepal, but when it hit, we weren't really expecting it. I didn't get up that morning thinking, okay, there's going to be an earthquake today. I had no idea. We don't get up thinking today, you know, the, the Lord's going to come, but he could come. And it made me realize just how quick that can happen. What you think is going to happen, but you don't really think it's going to be today, could be today. Just remember that. We weren't scared so much during the earthquake and all those aftershocks. Guess when we were scared? Expecting another one. When that earthquake comes, we had 400 aftershocks or more before we left Nepal at the end of the year of 2015. And you just always are kind of, when's the next one going to happen? Because your house shakes, you got to run out and all that kind of thing. But fear is experienced expecting. When it actually happens, your adrenaline is rushing and you're trying to get to safety. This right here, this right here, to me is the most important lesson learned. Christianity has taken root in Nepal. Now, if you've kept up with international news, they've tried to change the Constitution again and implement it that it's illegal to convert in Nepal. It's illegal. It's always been there, but they have brought it back up, and they're trying to implement it. It's illegal to convert. Uh, and then Teresa and I were talking. You know, that dog's out of the bag. Yeah, it ain't going to stop it. You know, those guys, they tell us sometimes, you Americans, you need a little persecution. Makes you count the cost of being a Christian. And you know what this is going to do? It's just going to make it grow faster. But please pray for the missionaries. It says if a missionary, a foreign missionary is caught evangelizing, just like you saw in that video, they can be arrested, they can be fined, but they'll mostly be deported, kicked out of the country. And they were doing that. We had missionaries that we knew in our church. Sometimes they were kicked out because they were caught evangelizing. The Nepali Christian witness shone so brightly during the earthquake and afterwards that it's just not going to happen, that they're going to kill Christianity. It's just not going to happen. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful to know that it's taken root? This is another thing we learned. Differences tend to fade away when there's a tragedy. We were, you know, I, I think our differences weren't that great among the congregation, but they even faded more. And the whole thing was worshiping God, serving the people affected, and sharing the gospel. People are generous. Oh, my goodness. Were people generous? Just like you are as a church. 
we decided not to ask for one dime to help us out, but to be a channel for people to give and then empower mainly young Nepalis to go to their villages. You see how they were trekking? We didn't have any projects that uh, our church funded that was done by trucks. Nope, they were done by bicycles and carrying them because they went to those areas that were hardest to reach. And because people were generous, even though we didn't ask for any funds, we were able to fund 50 projects. And we did not refuse any projects because of lack of funds. Some of them we said, no, this doesn't have the components we're looking for. This, this won't, we don't think it'll work and had a board to look at it, but never because we didn't have funds. And that's how many donations came in. $60,000. People that come to the church, some of the home churches sent money or whatever, but it came from all over the world. And $60,000 was donated. Here's another thing. Refugees are especially vulnerable in a time of tragedy because they don't have any family support. They don't live in good houses. They pretty much lost everything. Just everything. So remember, as you saw in the video about Jesus in the, during the song, when they, after he was born and they were headed south, guess where they were going? To Egypt. Guess what Jesus was? A refugee. He was vulnerable like these. One can never be fully prepared for a tragic event is another lesson. Yes, we can be prepared, but not fully. Because you always think we should have done this, we should have done that. And then we knew an earthquake could come at any time. People had told us what an earthquake was like. But until you go through one, just like anything else... We can tell someone that's got cancer we know what it's like if we've never had it, and we don't. So it's, it was going through it that gave us that experience. Then God is faithful, always. Tragedies are opportunities for God's people to embody and live out the teachings of Jesus. That's what it's all about, isn't it? God's people living out the gospel wherever they are, whatever they are experiencing. It's wonderful to see Christians working together. We saw barriers broken. We've mentioned that. And then, this is the sad part, because Christian churches meet on Saturday. Some of the churches had not uh, dismissed, can meet all during the times of the day. Hundreds of Christians died while they were worshiping. And this is an example of a church. This is the Salvation Church just outside of Kathmandu. It was destroyed in the earthquake. During the service, 17 members died. They have about 60. So imagine losing one-third of your congregation. And here's Pastor Harry Tamang with one of his injured members. And he came to us the day after. We were able to take up an offering on the Sunday afterwards. We met outside under a, in a soccer field and took enough money up to pay the hospital bills of all their church members injured. So uh, he was a, a very dear friend, stood with that church. He broke his arm. Trying to, he went back in to rescue people. Uh, wonderful pastor. This is what got me. Worship can be very meaningful in a time of tragedy. So after a week or so, uh, I thought, oh, my goodness, we got back into the building. People are going to be afraid to be inside of a building because, you know, the aftershocks, you're afraid, uh, especially a weakened building, could collapse on you. So my pastor, oh, I was crying. Nobody's going to be at church, you know, and all that. It was packed out, absolutely packed out. But what was more impressive was the singing. Oh my, they were a good singing congregation anyway, but that Sunday after the earthquake and subsequent Sundays, it was like you were in heaven. 
when you heard him sing. Why? Why? Why is worship so wonderful in the midst of tragedy? Because you see who God is. And here's some examples of projects we funded quickly. Support, food relief. We did a lot of tarps because people's houses went down and we would cover roofs. We did school feeding programs to keep kids from being trafficked to India. Uh, Paying medical expenses, temporary shelter. I'll show you a picture of that where really a house could be built in just about an hour. Cost $100. IMB used a lot of those. Trauma counseling workshops we had uh, for pastors throughout the country. We had a lot of counselors in our church, and they went out, and we helped to pay for that. Portable water filters, solar lights. We built schools. Mosquito netting. What do you mean? In the Himalayas, there's mosquitoes. Down in the lower area of Nepal, there was destruction down there. It's almost sea level. And so there was a a lot of times that we needed to help with that. Uh, Assisting Sherpas. You ever heard of the Sherpas? The guys that lead the expeditions up Everest. Teresa taught English as a second language. She taught Sherpas all the time because they needed to know English to guide people up, up the mountains. Many of them lost everything, including their incomes, and we had projects to help with that. And here's some examples of the destruction. That's what Kathmandu, you saw some of that. My pictures aren't as good, but that's just what it looked like. Just downed buildings all over the place. Many Hindu temples were destroyed, and they were all over the place. Now, this is a, a very important Hindu monument or tower. It's called the Daharada Tower. It's in the city center of Kathmandu. We were about a half a mile from that when the earthquake hit. It is beautiful. See the hills and mountains around? This is it in the middle of the earthquake. It fell, and look at this. That's what's left. Nothing. And all 60 people or over 60 people inside died. You're seeing a graveyard right there. Then some photos of our projects. Uh, We did a lot of uh, giving just food and giving tarps. These women are waiting in line. This is just something for you women to think about. In Nepal, you know, they have the piercings, you know, the piercings of the nose and all of that. It's not so much the young women that get them. It's the older women. So if you've never got your nose, ears, and all that pierced, ladies, there's still time, and you fit right in in Nepal. <clears throat> Nepali women with the tarps that they got, this was a godsend. When they got their roof, finally, and maybe months later, guess what they did with the tarps? Put them over the chicken houses, their goat barns, or whatever. Nothing went to waste. This is a relief project funded by KICC. One of, we did have Nepalis that came to our church. This is one of the young Nepalis in our church. This is another one, members of the Nepal Christian Movement. I spoke to their meetings and retreats before, and they're sharing items with villagers. School feeding program. Uh, these are just kids eating food, and it's to help keep them at home. This is Sam Poon, one of my dearest friends. In fact, some of the pictures he's, he took that's uh, in this presentation. He's a trekking guide and a mountain biker. He's the best mountain biker I've ever seen. That's one of the things we did. Teresa and I, we didn't have a car. We cycled. So when I went to visit people, I cycled to their house or whatever. And we, uh, that's, that's what we used. But for fun, we went cycling up in these high hills. And uh, he's a coordinator of projects uh, for the Sherpas. He has a lot of Sherpas in his, in his company. And there he is helping Sherpas with, uh, um, with some aid. Sam is the first Christian in this village. And his burden for his village is Pastor Rendell, 
would you please come up with me to my village and preach and share the gospel? That's all these Nepali Christians want. They want their families to be Christians too. A temporary shelter, that cost $100, took about an hour to build. We trained people. We bought hundreds of those through the donations given. There's a couple in their temporary shelter. If you want to make it permanent, they'd put some logs or whatever in the front and make it a permanent house. And this is a guy, I've asked some churches to pray for him. This is Ali the Somali, Dr. Ali. He ended up as a refugee. He's not a Christian. He came because his family spoke up against whatever government is left in Somalia. But he started coming to our church. And he just got touched with the gospel. He's not a Christian yet. But he got touched with the gospel and wanted to help. So we funded some projects that he could work in. And he's a doctor. And he's uh, conducting medical camps. And he did that through some of the projects we funded. And I heard from him not long ago. And he's still saying, pray. Pray, pray, pray. He's very religious. And I think he's close to becoming a Christian. So pray for Ali the Somali. Now here's some scripture that meant a lot to us. You know, the scripture and worship became more. And I'm going to end with this. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in the time of trouble. Therefore, this was a hard one to obey. We will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. They didn't fall into the sea in Nepal. They just fell down. So many landslides. Though as waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. He says, okay, think about it. In the midst of all the chaos going on you be still and know that i am god god is god no matter what's going on in our lives god is god no matter what's going on in our country god is god no matter what's going on in alabama god is god and he says not that i want to be exalted in the nations did he he said i will be exalted among the nations and i will be exalted on the earth because the earth is his the lord almighty is with us The God of Jacob is our fortress. So please pray for us. Please pray for Nepal. Please pray for the Southern Baptist missionaries that are there. And then expand even beyond that. Now give to the Lottie Moon, but you pray for the Wycliffe and you pray for the Samaritan's Purse folks and all of those because most of them, we found out, are Southern Baptists too. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? IMB can't send all the Southern Baptists that want to go out for missionaries. And we are working with those. IMB works in fellowship with these, with these different groups. Now, I just want to challenge you with this. Christian missions has changed. If you go to Nepal and you find one of our IMB missionaries walking around town, and you say, are you a missionary? They probably say, first of all, why do you want to know? Because you don't use that word in Nepal. We came in. You know how we got to stay in Nepal? It's absolutely an amazing story. We got in on a visitor's visa. We didn't know how we were going to stay in. And one Sunday, some people after church came up to me, very proper and British. We're watching you. I said, what? We're watching you. I said, we'll be back in touch. I mean, I was brand new. Didn't know what was going on. Then I got a call from them and said, would you come over to the British Army camp where the Nepali Gurkhas are based? We'd like to talk to you about becoming our chaplain. So I went. And I was endorsed as a chaplain with the British Army. 
to the Nepali Gurkhas. I was the officiating chaplain to the Brigade of Gurkhas. And they said, oh, yes, you can get a visa. And I had a British diplomatic visa inside of my passport. And that's how God led us in to stay in Nepal. Now, where did that come from? It's just one of those things the Lord does. Methods have changed to, and, and due to so many nations and people resistant to the gospel. You know why Nepal and some of those countries are, are where they're at now? It's because they're the hardest places to reach. And the Southern Baptist Mission emphasis is on the hardest places now. Not neglecting the traditional places, but it's going to where the gospel is hardest to penetrate. And you've got to do it in creative ways. Methods have changed, but the mandate and message hasn't. To share the gospel with all. So here's what we're still supposed to do. Pray, give, and go. Kind of simple, isn't it? And that's my prayer for you. You will pray, you will give, and go. And then I end up with one final challenge. Here you need to say to people, come. You've got the church. You've got the building. You've got the message. So now, invite people to come to hear about the Lord. Thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to share with you today. I pray that a little bit you have been inspired to pray for, support, and give to the cause of Christ. God bless you. Thank you, Thank you. Well, amen.